right, well, good morning to you all. It's great to see you all here today. It's great to have the, uh, the rain bolts back with us as well. Oh. <coughs> all right, so today we're going to read through uh, Genesis chapter 13, the whole chapter. So when you find Genesis chapter 13, verse 1, would you please stand for reading God's word? Okay, Genesis chapter 13, beginning of verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks, and herds, and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you Bless the reading and hearing of your word. Open up our hearts to receive. Open up our minds to comprehend. Our desire is to know you better. To be changed by that knowledge so that we are more and more conformed to the image of Christ. You've instructed us to live in this world as Lights, lights shining in darkness. And Lord, we desire to do that and we understand that we're dependent upon your enabling power. So we pray, Lord, use your truth and the proclamation of your truth to grow us in grace and in the knowledge of you to embolden us, empower us, so that we may 
live godly in this present age, this age of perverseness and idolatry. May we be true children of light, worshipers of the true and living God. Lord, empower us to be faithful witnesses verbally that we may be ready, always ready to give an answer for the hope within us, instant in season and out of season, ready to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that we may represent you correctly, reflecting your character and faithfully proclaiming your truth. Father, thinking of our, in particular of our own context in our nation, I pray, Lord, make us true peacemakers. May we, by Your Spirit, by the power of Your Spirit, live out the peace that so many people are seeking and wish they had. And may we truly do everything within our own power to be at peace with all those around us as conduits of Your love, Your mercy, Your grace. Lord, now as this message is proclaimed, I ask that You enable me to speak with accuracy and with clarity and open all of our spiritual ears to hear, to receive what You are saying to your people on, in this place on this day. And may it all work to bring glory and honor and praise to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, amen. It is good to be back and good to see familiar faces. <laughs> but you know, it is, it is amazing, um, and I mean all of you, you, you know this, but uh, when you go different places, and if you have opportunity to meet other Christians, it's just amazing the fellowship that you can have, even with somebody that you don't know well, but you have that, uh, that bond that you're in Christ. And Last Sunday we were able to uh, fellowship um, at a church that... Uh, my son and uh, our son and his family have been attending for a while. And um, then um, when I was trying to, as much as possible, keep my, my routine, I was studying in the mornings at uh, Starbucks there. And a brother uh, from the Caribbean uh, sat beside me, and we had some good fellowship um, for a few days there. At least I enjoyed it. hope he did as well. Uh, so anyway, it's just, it's just amazing. Uh, how you can go different places and uh, meet strangers who, uh, after a few minutes, don't seem like strangers. Yeah, it's good. Okay, and speaking of that, because we are, we are uh, like Abraham, we're sojourners in a foreign land, right? So I guess that's kind of what happens there when you meet folks like that. You meet other sojourners that, you know, you, you've, uh, you've got the same nationality, as it were, and that is we're all citizens of heaven. And uh, and so after a few minutes, um, 
evidence of that emerges and you just have sweet fellowship sometimes. Okay, we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago, and I trust that uh, you were blessed by Brother Austin's message last week. I, I, uh, I haven't had an opportunity uh, or haven't listened to it yet. I guess um, I don't know why I didn't think about it while we were traveling back, but, uh, but I, uh, I, I fully intend to listen to it and looking forward to that and trust that uh, you all were blessed by that. I know he was. In fact, I got a, a card from him uh, saying as much. Uh, so uh, I, I, I apologize for the, the uh, abruptness, uh, you know, in which we departed. But our plan was to leave Monday, and that's the reason I didn't say anything um, when we were here Sunday, that Sunday, because our plan was to leave Monday. Then, when the opportunity arose for us to leave Saturday instead, instead of Monday, we took it. And uh, thankful to Austin for filling in, true blessing. So. Um, we're picking up here in what where Joel just read, of course, chapter 13. Just a little bit of uh, context here. The last thing that we talked about was Abram uh, and Sarai going into Egypt, sojourning in Egypt. And you remember the story there. They went down and Abram instructed Sarai to, uh, if anybody asks, you know, you tell them that you're my sister. Um, and that way my life will be spared. And so they did that, and I think uh, what Abram wasn't counting on is that she was taken into Pharaoh's harem, and they were subsequently delivered by God intervening in that situation and actually bringing plagues on the house of Pharaoh. Um, And one of the things I've been saying, and I want us to keep in mind here today as well, the author of Genesis uh, was Moses. And keep in mind as we're reading through this that I think in, in, in Moses' mind, probably, as he was writing, his, his first concern was for his contemporaries. He's writing these things down for the people that he was living with and that he was seeing every day, that he was leading toward the land of promise. And so there are a lot of times we get information that really... Um, I think makes that makes that clear, uh, and and you get these parallels that I think Moses is intentionally drawing. So, for example, you know there he talks about he he records Abram's sojourn in Egypt and how God brings plagues on Pharaoh, and then um, Pharaoh is wanting to get rid of them so badly that he just tells them to get out, take their stuff, and get out. And the children, all of that would have would have resonated real quick with the children of Israel because they had just been through that. They, they had sojourned in Egypt much longer than Abram. They were there for over 400 years. And then the way that they were delivered was God brought plagues on the land of Egypt and even on the house of Pharaoh. And as you well know, after the 10th plague, Pharaoh demanded that they leave and even allowed them to go with all of their stuff. In fact, it was more than that. They, they basically spoiled the land because people just gave them provisions to take with them. And so they were ordered out and left with all their stuff. All of that is foreshadowed in Abram's experience here. So there are things like that that Moses would have in mind as he's writing for his contemporaries. And then beyond that, of course, it even has application for us because um, the exodus of Abram from Egypt foreshadows the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt which foreshadows 
our exodus from sin, from death to life, and ultimately um, Jesus' exodus from this world when he goes back in glory, uh, returns to glory with the Father. So there are many things like that we'll, we'll continue to try to point out as we go, Lord willing, but, but just keep those things in mind. In our own text, we have little things like in verse 7, our text for today, uh, where he says, At that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. See, that's good information for, the, for Moses' contemporaries because they are about to go in and try to take the land of Canaan, and these are some of the groups that they're going to have to fight. So they, they can look back on the experience of Abram and see that he had to contend with similar things, and God made good on his promises to Abram and brought him through every situation. And so that was encouragement for them, and it's encouragement for you and I. So that's just a little bit of context. Remember the land theme because uh, we, we see that again here there where Abram has promised the land. Uh, so there's a promised inheritance and uh, we want to keep that in view that because the Bible keeps that in view throughout the rest of the Bible. So, for example, here uh, the Lord makes the promise to Abram. You know, he says, lift up your eyes uh, and look from the place where you are. This is verse 14. And then verse 15 says, For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. So he promises the land to Abram's offspring. Well, so so there's the land is the inheritance. And it represents the inheritance. And again, it's foreshadowing some things. Ultimately, ultimately in the big picture, the land is not, uh, or the inheritance rather, is not the, the geographic area over in the Middle East, ultimately it is what we inherit in Christ. But, that, but the land foreshadowing that is, is, again, a theme that is kept throughout the Scripture. So, for example, you get to Matthew 5, and Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. And I know that a lot of times, like in the King James, that's translated earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I think a better translation, just, just to help us in understanding, uh, is to translate it land, because I, because I think what Jesus has in mind there is the inheritance promised to Abraham. Blessed are the meek, for they shall receive the promises of God to Abraham. All right, And then, of course, Paul fleshes that out in uh, Galatians and says that the seed, the offspring, the seed is actually Christ. And the children of Abraham are those who come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, right? So so that's the inheritance. Christ is our inheritance. And the land foreshadows that. And so just as God um, sees Abram through these events and makes good on his promises... We, we can take these things and be assured ourselves that God will make good on everything He has promised us in Christ, in Christ, always connected to Christ. Okay, so let's go through, through a, a little bit of this, and I'll just give you a very simple sentence here as, as a main point, and that is this. Abram trusted God and therefore waited for Him to fulfill His Promises. Now, I have to explain further what I mean by that. And, we, and we've, of course, been seeing this theme all along. 
Because what Abram is doing is walking by faith. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So I put a, I put a title and a subtitle in the bulletin, Walking by Faith. Walking by Faith. And the subtitle is kind of my description or definition of that. So, do it in question form here. What do we mean when we say walking by faith? You know, we, uh, we get used to, uh, as, as members of a church, as Christians, you know, we get used to using lingo, <laughs> language that uh, a lot of times people wouldn't pick up on in the outside world or they would misunderstood real quickly. Um, in fact, sometimes we just kind of take for granted that we understand what it is and sometimes later find out we didn't really, we didn't really get it. At least I know that happens to me. So what do we mean by walking by faith? Because we're using language there from, from the Scripture. And uh, walking is a common metaphor in the Scripture for living life. Or you could say uh, conduct. Or you could say manner of life. And the, the, the picture, you know, in the Greek, the word is just walking around. You know, it's like walking to and fro. In fact, that's exactly what we see Abraham do a little later on because God uh, commands him to do that. Walk about the land. So that's the picture. You know, you're walking around. You're walking about. As you're walking around, as you're walking to and fro, make sure that you do it by faith. So, so the picture is, as we're living life, our, our manner of life should be one characterized by faith. Our conduct should be that of faith. It's faith-driven or faith-produced by faith. You know, walk, walk, or walking by faith. Well, so that, that, that kind of begs another question, doesn't it? What is faith? What is faith? And my goodness, this, is, this has got to be one of the most understood or misunderstood words today uh, that we use probably. Um, and there is kind of a simple definition, I guess, that um, we, we can all readily grasp, believer or non-believer, um, but then you also, if we're talking about walking by faith in terms of what the Scripture says, then we also have to put it in a biblical context, Christian context, and understand it rightly that way. But let me just say this first. Faith, and you all know, what I, what I like to use as a, as a synonym or description for faith is trust. Trust. And I really believe that that's, that's a, um, an, an accurate one in terms of what the Bible is talking about when it speaks of faith. Trust or trusting. So you, you, you could be walking by faith. You're living a, a way of life, a manner of life, conducting yourself in a way of trusting. 
Trust. Living by trust. Living by faith. Living by trust. And there are some simple ways to illustrate that that I, I think are good. I'll tell the whole story, but they're good. Um, you know, you get on an airplane. I, I don't like to fly, so I don't fly a lot. But, uh, you know, we flew down to Mexico last year. So um, you get on an airplane. That's an exercise of faith, right? And I'm not just talking about in God. Certainly, we, we would hope as Christians <laughs> that's an exercise of faith in God because uh, we want everything that we do to be an exercise of faith in God. But just on a kind of a natural level there, we're exercising faith in the pilot, right? Faith in the mechanics. I mean, how do I know? The mechanic wasn't up all night, and, uh, you know, he didn't get a good night's rest. Um, Maybe his cat kept him up like mine did last night. And uh, so he didn't get a good night's rest, and so he's fumbling around, and he forgets to do some things. How do I know that that didn't happen? You know, you don't... And we don't ask all those questions when we go to get on board. Uh, at least most of us don't. So it's an exercise of faith. You're, you're, you're putting faith in human beings and faith in mechanics because sometimes people can do everything they can and, you know, they're just mechanical failures. You're trusting is the point. You're trusting. Now, let's put that in a biblical context. When a Christian talks about living by faith, let's be clear. I mean, what we're not talking about is faith in faith. And I think that's what the way most people understand it. In other words, faith is some kind of entity, and you just if you live by faith, trust faith. <laughs> that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about faith in a person. And that person is the living God, the true and living God. One of the things we're seeing in the text here is that Abram, Abram at this point, later he'll be called Abraham, but Abram is a worshiper, right? And we could say the same thing about worship. Worship is, is not just automatically good. Or you can say the same thing about prayer. It, it matters who you are worshiping. It matters who you are praying to. When it comes to faith, it matters what you are putting your trust in. So when people say, oh, I, oh you know, I have faith. Faith is real important in my life. Faith is a, a very important element in my life. The question that should come up is faith in what? Faith in what? Just faith? You know, faith in faith? Just believing? I mean, that doesn't even, that's not even logical. Faith in what? And then, of course, there are other religions, so some people would say, you know, well, I'm a Hindu, and I put my trust in Hindu gods, or I'm a Muslim, and I put my trust in the Muslim god, Allah, or whatever the case may be. I'm a humanist, secular humanist, and I put my trust in man. And I would say, based on what I understand the Bible to say, that, that the, in every one of those situations, the result is going to be death, eternal death and destruction. So what you put your faith in, or to say it another way, what you trust matters. And Abram trusts the true and living God. Remember, he, he came out of idolatry. 
out of the Ur of the Chaldees, where he and his forefathers worshipped idols. And the writer of Hebrews says he did that by faith, meaning that he was trusting God, the true and the living God. He trusted the true and living God so much that he left his home, not even knowing where he was going, But obviously, he's just thinking, wherever God is taking me, that's the right place to be. And that's because he trusted trusted God. So he's walking by faith. Now, let's look at the text here, and I want to make this distinction. And this is really the main point, so um, we don't have a lot of time left, but but that's all right. I mean, that's the main point, this distinction between Walking by sight and walking by faith. And for walking by sight, in this case we're going to, we have as an example before us, Lot, Abram's nephew. And as an example, as we've just been talking about, as an example of walking by faith, or living by trust in the true and living God, we have as an example Abram. Now, both of these men, um, we are told, were very wealthy. And remember, Lot is traveling with Abram. He left Ur of the Chaldees, lived in Haran with Abram. He's, he's still, he was in Egypt with Abram. He's still tagging along with Abram. The, the problem is, both, both of these men, I guess, it, I guess maybe you say it's a good problem at this point, but both of these men are prospering so much that the little spot of land that they're in can't, uh, can't support both of them uh, seems to be indicated here. And then on top of that, their herdsmen are not getting along. They're striving against each other. So this conflict arises, and Abram comes up with a solution. Now, I want to say this too before I leave off the prosperity thing. I do think that probably in this context, their prosperity is intended to be a... a we are, let's say it this way. We are intended to understand it as the blessing of God for their trust in Him and for their obedience to Him. He's called them out of the earth, Chaldees. They have followed God to this point and so he has blessed them tremendously, just as he said he would. He told Abraham he would bless him and bless those who blessed him and so forth. In our context, I think it would play out differently on this side of the cross and in the age in which we live in. In other words, because you believe in Christ and you are faithful to, to live in obedience to Christ, don't expect that you will have great material possessions. In fact... It may be that just the opposite will be true. But you will prosper in that you will have peace with God. And you will have the assurance of knowing Him, knowing His presence in any situation that you are in. You will have, just as I was talking about a little earlier, you will have more brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers or whatever than you can possibly count. And you will have the assurance of eternal life in His presence. And I think those things 
or true prosperity. And probably what Abram's prosperity is intended to foreshadow. He prospered in the presence of God and in a life of obedience to God. And so do we. Alright? So, they had to separate. This is Abram's solution. Verse 8. Abram had said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me. So, so listen. Someone who lives by faith, someone who trusts the true and living God, someone who walks by faith, is a peacemaker. We are called to be peacemakers. And that's always the case. That's always been true. But, you know, there are times where different aspects of our responsibilities get highlighted because of the events, the circumstances that we are uh, living in and that we're exposed to. So just think back on this tumultuous week that we are coming out of or that we have just come out of. And I, I think a lot of people, not only Christians, but a lot of people are saying, what, what can we do? What can we do to make things better? And Christians, one thing we need to realize, one thing we need to, one responsibility that we need to embrace and pray for God's wisdom in is being peacemakers. We're called to that. Jesus also, I mentioned the meek earlier, Jesus also pronounces blessing on the peacemakers, right? They're the sons of God. That's us. The true seed of Abraham. Those who come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are recipients of the kingdom, recipients of the inheritance. We are peacemakers. And I don't think, you read Matthew 5, and all those lists of, not only the list of uh, blessings pronounced, but all of the Sermon on the Mount, you read those things, and I, I don't think we ought to view them as options like, like special. You know, you get special brownie points if you do this or that. <laughs> I don't think that's what he's saying. I think that's what he's saying is these things characterize children of the kingdom. Children of the kingdom are meek. Children of the kingdom are peacemakers. Children of the kingdom pursue righteousness. They hunger and thirst for it. And so on. Children of the kingdom bless when they are persecuted. The Sermon on the Mount tells us characteristics about kingdom children. Us. So we're peacemakers. And that's what Abraham's doing. Let there be no strife between you and me. And, oh man, for Moses' contemporary readers, they were constantly striving, weren't they, in the wilderness? And no doubt, again, that's one reason this is written by the pen of Moses. Let there be no strife. Don't strive with me, Moses might say. Don't strive with God like they were constantly doing, putting him to the test. Don't strive with one another. We're kinsmen. Let there be no strife. Let there be no strife in the church. We're kinsmen. We're heirs, fellow heirs of the promise. So, he says, is not, verse 9, is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. 
Those who walk by faith are generous, not greedy. God has pronounced these blessings, this inheritance on Abraham. And I, and I guess he could just, you know, you can kind of picture somebody just trying to hoard it all and just... He's, he's not protective of it. And I don't mean in a bad way. You know, Esau sold his birthright out of selfishness. That's not what Abram's doing here. Abram's letting it go, or at least part of it, in an effort to keep the peace. You say he's giving away his inheritance? Well, yes and no. I mean, because the, the problem is, it's a great problem, but the problem is you cannot disinherit yourself as a Christian. So just give. Just give it. Give it away. Because God's going to do exactly what He did here with Abram, and He's going to come back and say, oh no, it's all yours. Look around you. I'm giving it all to you. So Abram could just be generous. I mean, he didn't have to fear losing the inheritance because the inheritance is by promise. And if God is good for His Word, then receiving the inheritance is sure. So he says, take, take, take whatever you want. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. I just want peace. We, we don't need to strive. Because he's walking by faith. He's trusting in the living God. But now we have an example in verse 10 of someone who's walking by sight, right? At least at this point. Now, I'm not saying that Lot was not saved. In fact, I, just the opposite. I think Lot knew the Lord. And uh, thank, thank the Lord we have, we have examples in Scripture of somebody getting, losing focus. <laughs> if not, then when I did it, I would think, oh my goodness, you know, this has never been done before and I'm in big trouble. But it has been done before. And, and this is one example. So Lot lifted up his eyes and I mean, just some similarities. You, you think, for example, of that's, this is what, what Eve did. She saw, she saw the tree, that it was a thing to be desired. That's the picture here, very similar. Lot lifts up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. That is, it was, it was lush, it was beautiful. When Lot looked in that direction and... He saw, and in this case, desired, I think, in a selfish way. In fact, Moses goes on to say, So Lot chose for himself, in verse 11, all the Jordan Valley. And you see the distinction? How, I mean, Moses, I'm, Moses, Abram is giving, I mean, just willingly. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. Or you go to the right, I'll go to the left, whichever. We just don't need to strive. You take what you want. But Lot looks up and he sees the, what he considers to be the best of the land. And he says, yeah, okay, I'll take that. That looks good. I, I want that part over there that puts me in mind of the Garden of Eden. Of course, there's a problem there. That little parenthetical statement in verse 10, 
This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, that land was lush and beautiful and all of that, flowing with milk and honey. But that was before judgment came. And that's the problem with this, this life. I mean, it, it, it's temporary. And people look around them and they everything you could desire, everything you want is here. I love it. I like it. This is what I want. I'll take this. And Jesus says, the problem is you, you save your life and you're going to lose it. Because what you're seeing is this side of God's judgment. And so it looks very appealing. You look at the world and, wow. <laughs> that looks satisfying. I'll take that. Oh, it looks satisfying now. But it's in a temporary state. Judgment is coming. And that's the way it was with Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot didn't know that. He looks at it and he doesn't know that judgment is inevitable. And he chooses the temporary over the permanent. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. And Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, as we move along in the story, we're going to find out what a mistake that was. But for now, just keep that in mind. Lot, Lot is walking by sight. Lot, is looking for a city. A city whose foundations are built and designed by man. A city that's going to fall, ultimately. A city that may, may deliver to some extent on some satisfaction now. But it has no lasting value. On the other hand... Abram is walking by faith. And remember what we mean when we say that. He's trusting. So while, while Lot basically reaches and grabs and says, I'll, I'll take this, he chose for himself. I'll take this, I'll take this. That looks good. Abram is trusting the living God. So he's willing to wait for God to fulfill his word. Verse 14. Then the, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you. Now, notice the contrast. Lot looks himself and takes for himself. And Abram has to be told to do those things. Look, look up, look. Look around. And it's not take, but it's, I'm going to give, the Lord says. Look, and I'm going to give. Now, it's not, the difference is not because Abraham's dumb. You know, Lot is shrewd, he's smart, he's, <laughs> or something like that. And Abraham's dumb, and so he has to have these 
Specifics in, in specific instruction. The difference is, Abram is trusting God and he's waiting for God's instruction. Instead of just grabbing at everything he can get, he wants what God gives. You hear these phrases like, you know, your best life now. That's not what the Christian wants. We know that for us, the best is out in the future. Or we can have it good now, walking with the Lord. We can have it great now, walking in fellowship with the Lord. But best is glorification. When the experience of sin is removed from us and we are forever in the presence of the Lord, worshiping Him forever and ever and ever and ever. Real quick, here's what the Lord says. For all, verse 15, For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Now remember, in the, in the, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, when you see that word earth or land, um, it, it's usually the same word. It can be translated land, it can be translated earth. So specifically here he's saying, I'm going to give you the land, and I will make your offspring as the dust of the land. So he tells Abram, Walk around, walk around, look around, and, and there's a lot of dust over there. So there's dust everywhere, and God says, I'm going to make your offspring like the dust of the land, innumerable. I mean, go ahead and try to count the grains of sand. You're going to find it impossible. That's the way your offspring is going to be, and your offspring is going to inherit all of this. So verse 17, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So a couple things real quick. I will give it to you. I already said it, but just to reiterate, you cannot disinherit yourself as a Christian. Say it another way. Sometimes people say you cannot outgive God. Look, we are called to be peacemakers. We are called to be worshipers. We are called to be generous, giving, loving, graceful. Two L's. Graceful and graceful. One L. We're called to those things. And it's okay. We can give and give and give and give. And God will still come back and say, the inheritance, all the inheritance is yours. You didn't diminish it one bit with your grace. You cannot diminish God's grace one bit by being graceful. And we are called to be graceful. He says, I'm going to give it to you. The promise is sure. And the promise is to your seed, literally. The ESV translates it here, offspring. Some translations use the word descendants. It's seed. The promise is to your seed. The, the seed, Abram, your seed is going to get the land. That is, your seed is going to inherit the inheritance. Now, we looked at this before, but I'm going to go, this, go there real briefly. In Galatians chapter 3, 
And I'm going to jump in the middle of this just to make this point. And you can go back and check it out on your own. Galatians 3.16. Paul is referring to these very passages. We, we saw one in 12.7 and now in 13. Galatians 3.16, the apostle writes, Now the promises were made to Abram and to his seed. It does not say... Now Paul is talking about the scriptures you and I have been reading. It does not say... and seeds, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. What Paul is saying is the heir, capital H, the heir to the promises that were given to Abraham, the heir to the inheritance that was promised to Abraham, the heir is Christ. He is Abram's seed, capital S, that God was talking about. He inherits the promise. Now, here's the good news of the gospel. All those who are in Christ inherit the promises because we're in Christ, like we were talking about in Sunday school. There's no other way outside of Christ to inherit the promises, or to say it another way, there's no other way apart from Christ to know God. There's no other way apart from Christ to come to God. There's no other way other than Christ, through Christ, to be made right, put in right standing with God. It's through Him and through Him alone because He's the seed that the promises were promised to. Now, Paul says, verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Notice that, in Christ Jesus. And, verse 29, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, or seed. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Brothers and sisters, as believers in Jesus Christ, you and I are heirs to what God has promised Abram. We get the inheritance. The land. Not just a geographic area. Although, we're going to get that as well. New heavens and new earth, right? But not just a geographic area. But we inherit right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we are His. We are in His family, His children, forever and ever and ever. And the way that that is realized is through faith, through trusting Him. Which means we have to be like Abram. Walk by faith. Live our lives out trusting in Christ. Would you stand, please? Time must be up. I heard a bell, so. (laughs) Let's pray and 
will be dismissed. Father, we thank you for these precious promises. Promises of eternal life. Eternity in your presence, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, made white as snow, forever removed from the penalty of sin, from the experience of sin, forever and ever in your presence. All made realities by what you have done through your beloved Son. Lord, I pray as we prepare to dismiss that if there's anyone in this room today who does not know you in truth, not just claim to be a Christian or something like that, but actually know you in truth, live a life like we're discussing here and reading about, entrusting obedience to you. If there's any, any of us in this room today who's not doing that, Lord, we're asking now that you break through Turn the lights on. Open the hearts. Turn the hard hearts soft. Make the heart of stone flesh. By Your saving, life-giving power, do what only You can do. Resurrect the dead for their eternal good. For Your eternal glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed.